We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Like Kobe in a fourth quarter. This is the Dane Moore NBA podcast coming in Monday evening. It's September 25th. And for this episode, we're going to discuss game five of the Wolves Nuggets series from last postseason, uh, the last game of that series that the Wolves lost to Denver in the first round. Uh, I thought this would be worthwhile uh, as an activity to do in advance of training camp, kind of for two reasons. Uh, one, obviously, it's literally the last game. The Wolves played, so I guess it's the most relevant film we have to go off of for this roster. And, you know, rewatching the game, it's a pretty similar roster. So it kind of sticks. Uh, what we saw out there seems to portend what will be uh, what this team will look like come game one of this season. But I think the second reason was the main reason I wanted to do this is just over the course of the summer, talking to Wolves fans or talking to people within the Wolves organization, I felt like I heard so many people reference game five. like. I think we maybe found something in game five or the second half of game five. Things uh, looked pretty good. It, it's this. I think it's this element of encouragement that people are holding on to uh, going into this season ahead. And I don't know, I guess I kind of wanted to like fact check that for my own brain or weigh out what was good, um, what was maybe ignored in some ways in the name of coping. So I have Jack Borman here from Canis Hoopus dot com. Uh, Jack, you were also willing to uh, rewatch Game 5 with me. I hope it was a worthwhile activity for you, too. I sent you this in the email, but kind of what I was just saying there, I'm curious your thoughts on that whole sort of narrative that kind of developed this summer where people were kind of saying, I think they found something in Game 5. What specifically do you think that is about? What were people referencing? And then having watched rewatched this game, uh, how much of that does check out to you? And we can pick into the details, but where do you think that narrative kind of generated from? Well, first of all, I think that it kind of came from the fact that the the biggest criticism of the, you know, Ant, Cat, Gobert trio is that uh, whether people wanted to, you know, place the onus on Chris Finch or on Gobert, bear or the point guard or whomever mm-hmm. that the team struggled to kind of get all three of them going at the same time in, in moments that it mattered. And, um, 
and I think that in the second half of of game five, we saw how all three of them can find success offensively while they're on the floor at the same time. Sure. And I think that's probably where that narrative came from the most. Um, you know, I would honestly say that that they played better in the first half of that game than the second half of that game, just because I thought that the the defense that they played in the first half was uh, was really eye opening in the way that they got uh, that they got the Nuggets to play in one-on-one situations so much. And we know that the Nuggets are at their most dangerous like they were in the fourth quarter and in and, and parts of the third quarter too when they kind of got back into it a little bit when, um, you know, they're just making really quick decisions with the ball. You don't see guys holding the ball for too long, um, you know, not doing something productive. You might see Murray hold the ball for five, six, eight seconds, whatever it is, because he's toying with the defense. He's kind of waiting for Jokic to, to set a screen or get into a DHL or something like that. But um, but, you know, I, I thought the Wolves defense was what was most encouraging. But in terms of where that uh, narrative is coming from, I think it's certainly that that we saw those three guys, um, you know, all play together uh, mm-hmm. pretty well offensively in that second half. Um, and, and they all had their moments. I think Rudy had three or four lob dunks and had some really good takes and, and transition and uh, and some good ISO plays. And then Cat was just really quick with with catching and going and, and had three or four and ones in that mm-hmm. second half alone. Um, and was just really under control and, and playing within himself. So I think that that's probably what the what the I guess fan narrative uh, had people most excited about. Yeah, I, I'm with that too. And I was kind of I kind of had that in my mind going into it that it was it was the big three all in tandem, kind of working together. And I think in the you know second half box score you see that like you said, Cat uh, started contributing offensively after struggling in the first half. Uh, and and I think Rudy was three for three uh, in the second half himself. I think what or what I noticed rewatching it, what made it be so that all three could get going was kind of two things. I think it started with Cat like right away at the beginning of the third quarter. He started finally being able to take his guy off the dribble. And that was a couple of those and ones. You know, he just kind of put his head down, got through there, was getting to the basket. And that gave the Wolves a second offensive option it was just pretty much all ant right in the first quarter ant was so heavy usage head down locked in going 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 um and and cap presented another option in tandem to ant then what got rudy going i thought was in the fourth quarter they were putting two on ant every time like they were like okay cat and ant are the two things ant is the primary threat they put two on the ball every time which left Rudy to do is kind of like slowly roll to the middle of the floor, down to the baseline, and they were swing, swing, finding Rudy, easy dunks there. So I think it was, I think the reason all three of them got going was because Cat picked it up in the second half, and then because of Denver's defense really prioritizing Ant, left Rudy open to contribute, in particularly in the fourth quarter uh, of that game. So. That is, to me, an indicator that they all absolutely can go in the same game. They did. They all did in the the second half of that game. I thought a little bit of it was circumstantial. I don't know specific to that game if Ant wasn't playing out of his mind, if you ever get to that Rudy part, right? If If they don't ever need to start doubling Ant, I don't know how open Rudy gets. And then we don't get that third leg uh of the narrative there. I know that's kind of like picking into it. I didn't, I didn't remember that before watching, but 
even just rewatching like the broadcast, Mike Malone is getting interviewed. He goes like in the between third quarter, fourth quarter thing. And he's like, yeah, we're going to start putting two on ant. Uh, <laughs> he just like says it to the yeah. person that sure enough, like first possession cats has a screen. Jokic comes up and doubles or, uh, and, and they, they play off of it there. So obviously that's going to be a theme all year, right? With ant is how do you get yours? Um, and then how do you react to when defenses are are trying to to take him away? Because I think we know Ant's going to be more aggressive, maybe something close to this game. That also really stood out to me like, man, this was, it went through Ant. It was a lot of Ant usage. Is that fair to assume that's what like week one looks like? Do we think Ant's usage is going to be this level of high? Um, I'm not sure, frankly. Um, and part of the reason why I say that is because I, I think important context here is that Carl Anthony Towns and Rudy Gobert would both freely admit that they were neither one of them was anywhere near 100 percent for, for sure. game five. Carl Anthony Towns, um, you know, said in the locker room, you know, on and off camera that his burst just wasn't the same. And how could it be? Um, after totally. missing, you know, 52 games with with a calf strain. Um, and that's what was so encouraging about um, those drives that he had that, you know, wasn't 100 percent. The burst wasn't there, but he was still able to figure out ways to get around him. But yeah, he kind of um, fullbacked his way through Aaron Gordon more in this game. Right. More than. like Yeah. And he, he yeah. really got at his hip and created contact by just stepping yep. quickly to his hip and force. Mm-hmm. And that's how that was how he drew fouls. Yeah. Um, but back to your original question with Ant, um, the reason why I don't know that he will be is that. I think that with Carl and with Rudy, I think those guys are really diplomatic in saying, you know, I, I would be surprised if, if those guys uh, on media day here don't say, you know, yeah, like Ant is the guy and we've got to get him the ball. But then when the game time comes and, and the, the competitor in both of them is, is out more, that, that they don't start getting a little frustrated that they aren't getting the ball. Um now, I think that getting Ant the ball opens up a scenario that we saw in, in game five, which is that if you can activate Ant and force the defense to, to prioritize him, that it'll make life easier for Carl and Rudy. So I think if you're approaching this and you're Chris Finch, I think kind of it's almost like an order of operations in math, right? Where I think Ant has to be the first thing that you're doing just because if you can get him going, it opens up the most uh, amount of options for your offense. Um, So in that regard, I think they'll go to him first and I think they'll look to him to be the first option. But I don't think that, you know, we'll see 10 shot attempts in the first quarter like we did in in game five. Um, But then again, you know, Ant doing that, was what really opened things up in the fourth quarter. We got into we got into some of that V action that that you've referenced earlier in the season, where um, you know Ant is at the top of the key with Rudy, and he'll throw the ball to the wing, and then Rudy will roll mm. and get that lob. That's what we saw. We saw Mike do that a couple a couple of times in that game. We saw Nod do it, and, and Slow Mo was out in this game. Yeah. Um, but but those Rudy screens I had written down in my notes here while you were talking is that in the first half. Almost all of Ant's buckets came off of a Rudy Gobert screen. They're, and then they're playing on the, the screen right now for, for those who are uh, watching on on YouTube. I, I just kind of wanted to play this even if just in the background to show how head down Ant is. I mean, just look at this one right here. Like, look at Conley over there. He's like, nope, I'm it was just take <laughs> he got to that little mid floater game, too, which I think mm-hmm. was encouraging because mm-hmm. um, that's something that, you know, 
he's gotten better at. He's got, I had written down in my notes that he changed speeds really well, yeah. that he was aggressive, but he did a good job of, you know, doing stuff like that. Right. And that's mm-hmm. just a mix of how he's, mm-hmm. how he's approaching and attacking. Um, and, I feel like we uh, saw that with Team USA too, right? Like a little yeah. bit more of that in-between downhill handle, changing pace, changing direction. I think that's a developing part of his game. And that was the biggest thing I think that we took away from uh, his exit interview after that Memphis series mm-hmm. uh, was that he he was like, I got to get better in the mid-range. And, and Finch said he's got to get better in the mid-range because, you know, with his speed and his shooting from deep, like that's just what's going to unlock everything. And you look at all the, you know, the, you know, Booker is kind of a pretty yeah. comparable, you know, guy in terms of he was just a, a really talented scorer that really refined and, and you know, rounded out some edges of his game and became this, you know, super complete player. And a lot of that stemmed from you know his footwork in the mid range and the way he was able to, mm-hmm. you know, just completely, um, you know, dictate what a defense has to do in, in guarding him by what he did in the mid range. And I think for Ant, that's the next step. And he, and he certainly did a lot of that in this game. Um, and again, it goes to the whole point of, of why you got to get Ant involved in the game first, I think, because, um, everything is going to, is going to flow down from there. Um, and, and we saw that in, in, uh, game five. We did. We did. I, I think, um, it started with Ant. It eventually got to, to Kat and Rudy. Um, I, I think it, you kind of mentioned this a little bit earlier. Um, this is just like we we should note that this fact that this team was completely thin in this game, right? Um, you know, I'm watching the game, and the first person to check in is Torian Prince. Second person to check in is Jalen Noel. Third person to check in is Austin Rivers, and that's it. That's the eight that they played with. That's three guys who and, aren't. And Noel played eight minutes. Austin Rivers played fourteen. Yeah, <laughs> so it was. They did not have support outside of that of that starting group um maybe that's part of the reason why it felt like we were a little more honed in on cat rudy ant the triumvirate you know kind of coming together in this game maybe as we get to the regular season things are going to be a little bit more broken up staggered whatever i i I say that to mean like i don't think the only way this team can win is if all three of them play like they did in the second half of game five together like that's not going to happen every single night. So how do you get it? So maybe just two of them are having a game like they need to be able to have a good team game, be able to compete at a high level against just about any team in the league. If you can only get to two of those guys in a major way uh, throughout the game, obviously maybe Jaden has a bigger game or Conley shoots 16 shots in a game. Um, it doesn't need to be this right. Like they just, it happened in this game because they were so thin in terms of depth um, and because it was the playoffs and these guys are all playing like 40 minutes in this game. So I think game five was encouraging in that all three of them played well. It doesn't need to be the blueprint of, of how this team has success this season. Yeah, I don't, I don't think it does either. Um, you know, I think one of, one of my, I guess, t- takes coming into this season is that like, I think there is as much pressure on Chris Finch yeah. as there is on any coach in the league. And what I mean by that isn't that, you know, he's on the hot seat or I'm saying, you know, people should be calling for his job if if things don't go well right away. That's not at all what I'm saying. So I want to put that disclaimer out there right now. What I'm saying is that 
there are so many different ways that the Timberwolves can go this season in terms of, like you were saying, the staggering and the pairings that they can get to. Are there certain trios that you want to try to look at? You can play a different style of basketball. You can go small. You can go huge. You can get a bunch of shooters on the floor. You can get a lineup in there that can completely just muck up the game and uh, make it a slow slog and, and really emphasize half-court defense um, in that the coaching staff just has so many levers that they can pull and that it really is going to be on you know Finch, whether he's the one building the rotation or, or talking to his, um, you know, his offensive coordinator and defensive coordinator about, hey, these are the things that I want to get to in this matchup, that sort of thing. Um, you know, just because unlike what we saw in game five, you can make a real argument that the Timberwolves have the deepest roster in yeah. in the league. Um, and I don't think that, you know, I'm not sitting here saying that with, you know, all due respect to Travion Graham, but with like, you know, you don't have those types of players like Jalen Noel and Austin Rivers, both are still unrestricted free agents. Mm-hmm. And we're the seventh and eighth man in a playoffs playoff game on the road, closeout game in which the Timberwolves took the eventual champions down to the wire without three of their six most impactful players, mm-hmm. right? Or seven most impactful players. Like I, I think that, that element of it just highlights exactly what you're saying, that I don't think the blueprint needs to be Ant, Cat, Gobert. I think it would be awesome if that was the blueprint that helped them, you know, win playoff games and, and really high leverage games, um, just because obviously you want your best players to play well in the biggest stages. But I, I think the biggest thing for this Timberwolves team is going to be not, you know, hyper focusing on trying to get those three players going all the time. It's going to be finding the little duos and trios within a game that you can try to work to Mm -hmm. and if hey our option a isn't working okay cool we've got this option b of you know the cat and nas duo that we can try to get to or we can try to get some you know slow-mo and and go bare minutes going uh if we feel like we need some some stronger interior defense like there's just like i said so many levers you can pull no but it's a it's uh, a puzzle that's what i've been putting it yeah And it's just going to be about timing and when you pull them and what teams you're pulling them against and, and that sort of thing. So it's, it's, I, is it a problem? Sure. But it's a, I guess it's a good problem mm-hmm. to be, to have the opportunity to solve. Um, sure. If you're a, if you're a Timberwolves fan. Um, Jack, I'm just going to grab our first break here, but I want to keep, keep going on this. Uh, just want to remind people that October 14th, uh, we will be at Falling Knife Brewing Company. Uh, doing Wolves Fest, we're just calling it like a Wolves Brewery Day. Like everybody come out, wear Wolves gear, we'll hang out uh, an extended period of time on Saturday. Come at like four uh, if you want. We'll do the show at like five. The Wolves play at 6.30 that night. It's their first, I guess, stateside um, preseason game. They they play the Knicks. So we're just hoping before the season gets crazy that this is a time that we can kind of get a bunch of Wolves fans together uh, to to talk about the Wolves, hang out, and and watch the first preseason game. As you see, some of these clips from from last year uh, when we we're at at Falling Knife, we're we're looking forward to getting everyone together again to do that again. Uh, Wolves Fest twenty three, Falling Knife is calling it. Uh, about you can come about four o'clock. We'll do the pod, me and Britt, at uh, about five o'clock, and then the Wolves Knicks game starts at six thirty. So keep that on your calendar for October. 14th. Um, all right, Jack, let's, uh, let's keep going along. We, we, you were kind of mentioning some of the duos and I found myself really focusing in on cat in this game in general. And, and I'm, 
what like why was the first half so bad? Because the first half was as bad as the second half was good. What are the things that opened it up? Who what who are the players um that that he was playing with? I didn't really find a great answer to that, other than I feel like it just took him the first half to get comfortable, maybe kind of settle the nerves down a little bit, um, and just see the ball kind of more consistently go through the basket. The first two or three drives of the game were were sloppy and kind of discombobulated. And then it really turned on a dime for the second half where he was just a force and and a problem there. The only thing I wrote down was maybe more empty corner space to attack um, in, the, in the second quarter, I mean, or the second half. I think in general with Cat, that's going to be the main thing for getting him going offensively this season is just finding space for him to create with that kind of loping dribble drive that that he has to his game that is both takes up a lot of space but is really I mean developing into becoming his kind of main thing offensively what what did you just take away from Cat's performance in game 5 and kind of the the juxtaposition of of those two halves that he had Yeah I think the personnel that he was on the floor with in the first half is uh is something that really I, I I don't think you can uh, not mention here. Um, so Ant really had it rolling right away in the first quarter, mm-hmm. um, and, and I and I think that Cat in in a sort of a sense just kind of got out of the way, and and I, I think really was just trying to not uh, be the one that was preventing Ant from getting going. Um, I think when Cat Cat had more opportunity, I guess, or, or took more. Uh, more of the possessions as a scorer in the second quarter. Um, and the lineups that he was out there with in, in the first, you know, three, four minutes of the second quarter, he was playing with Mike Conley, Austin Rivers, uh, Jalen Noel, Torian Prince, uh, and Nikhil. So Jalen Noel was in there for the first minute, then Nikhil. So the five-minute lineup was really Mike, Austin, Nikhil, Torian, and Kat. Mm-hmm. And and the thing there is like Carl is unquestionably like the go-to guy there. They just kept going yeah. to the left block, trying to get these left block post-ups. And Carl was getting into it really slow, wasn't decisive. And no one was really moving around to try to help him all that much. And I think that, you know, Carl, you see here is just way more decisive. He's just deciding he's going to go with it. Yeah. And he saw a lot more single coverage too when he was playing out there alongside Ant, whereas he was seeing double teams and and people were just swarming him in the paint and got the ball knocked away from him whenever he kind of had it low, trying to make his drive from guys that were, you know, chipping in from, from above the break. And I think for, for Carl, it's just like, how can you find ways to get him single covered in the post? And I think we've seen, him find success the most uh, when he's in those positions as a post-up player, um, because I think he goes quicker. Uh, there's times when he's expecting that double team to come, whether it's from the low side or the high side, that's when things kind of slow down for him. And he wants to try to be methodical and pick the defense apart when in reality, he's just making it tougher on himself. Um, so I think that the, for Carl, it's how can you get him in positions to, make the quickest decisions. And I think that's when you've got other playmakers out there where people got to think about, uh, and they've got to think about Jaden off the bounce. They've got to think about someone like Nas, um, you know, and, and the thing, great thing about Carl that I don't think people necessarily talk about enough is he's like a really willing passer. Like when sure. he played with Nas down the stretch, uh, of the regular season before Nas got hurt, he was like, Oh, Nas and a guy that's even remotely smaller than him. Like I'm, I'm dumping it in there. And he mm-hmm. wanted, 
you know, Nas to just go to work. And so I think that's going to be the thing for Carl is try to try to pair him, position him with guys that um, that can really score the ball offensively. And instead of trying to like help him defensively, I think with Carl, you just go all in on offense as best you can and just try to empower those lineups to score. Um, so I, I'm with you. I'm with you on that. I, I think the the decisiveness stands out right because that is the quicker he goes all the time is going to be before the spacing gets bad right any sort of delay is going to bring that whether if he's on the block it's going to bring that doubler from the baseline to to come over to him or even if it's just like on the swing he's on the opposite side like decisively going not necessarily reading reading the floor all out before he goes because in whatever time it takes him to read the floor, it, the floor is going to kind of fill up. And I think that's a Carl's it's, Carl's got the hardest job, right? That's also kind of become a narrative. But I think that's true in this sense, too, where we need Carl to be super decisive, right, for him to get his offense. Well, for him to be that passer that he can be and is underrated at, you need to be able to read the floor to be able to figure out when and where to go. So it's it's kind of one of those like imperfect balances to find and and i think another one of those things that's going to take time i just want to play this clip right here this is this is like a good cat find of rudy and patient where rudy drops down right there but cat's kind of got his eye on rudy here the whole time right and rudy's setting the screen no one's finding him no one's finding him but cat is looking for rudy the entire time here draws the second defender that's a dime that right was there. the best passive one of the best passes of his career i think i i and it was you know, nine minutes left in the, the fourth quarter when it was the time in which the defense was leaving Rudy kind of open on that backside. That's what we're talking about is they're playing up because ants on the perimeter, cats on the perimeter, they're leaving Rudy back there. And I think cat has a good, like inherent feel for that. Um, that probably has to do with having been on the receiving side of a lot of passes and the dunker spot or around the rim as a seven footer himself. He feels that really well but you know we think back to the regular season too and it was like okay he was the best at finding rudy hands before down before he got injured or after yeah yeah injured. yeah before before he got injured like the first whatever what was that first 24 games or something like he was good at finding or probably the best at finding rudy on the team at the beginning of the season but it kind of came at the cost of some of his offensive game and, you know there's the acclimation period and all that but i think at the end of the day while his processing time was slow, he couldn't be decisive. The easier option there was to find was to find Rudy. I don't think if he can become super decisive and hold on to that passing ability, specifically a passing ability that's going to get Rudy going, that's where he opens up the puzzle, right? For the defense. Yeah. Now, now they now they need to be answering it. They don't need to just be doubling cat. If if it's doubling cat and he can pick that apart teams are going to have trouble uh defending this team it's just how quick can cat do that and how solid can the spacing become because a lot of the good spacing in this game specifically was purely a product of ant getting doubled right or them putting two guys Correct. out on ant so he needs to be super in tune to that like this is a huge film year i think for cat um in yeah. in like seeing the first five games all right what do we miss here what what can I, you know, what can I do better? This is the learning process is, is for him there. And I think a lot rides on his ability to do that. Yeah. And I was going to mention that 
you know, the reason I asked you before after the trade was because, um, you know, I think when you miss that much time and you feel that helpless mm-hmm. uh, as a player, not being out there, being able to help your guys and, uh, you know, and just be in the thick of it is, is you kind of got to take a step back and you watch it with a different set of eyes. And like, there's no, and Carl talked about how, you know, there were some games where he sat back in the locker room and watched the game with Tim Connolly and they just talked about the game and what he can do and where he needs to fit in and that type of thing. Cause you know, Tim Connolly is one of these guys that started as a scout is a very, mm-hmm. um, you know, knowledgeable basketball mind. He's not somebody that was more of a, you know, an, an, a, you know, an analytics based guy who, you know, maybe it doesn't have the same, you know, just, I'm going to dive into the film and just love that type of the game. Um, and, and I think with Carl, it's, you think of, how are the ways that Kyle Anderson is helping to get Rudy Gobert involved? You talk to Mike Conley even after Mike gets there and you say like, Hey, like, you know, we learned from Mike, the thing where you want to bounce it and have Rudy receive it as the ball is going up was something that he talked about a lot. It's, it's those little intricacies because you, you think about it too, of like, who are the pairings that were best with Rudy? It was Mike. And then Nikhil was really great with Rudy too. And I think that, um, having those two guys as resources um, and Dell Demps too, like Dell Demps is, is part of the Wolves front office was an assistant coach in Utah when Rudy was there and, you know, being able to talk to all these guys and Rudy himself too, about like, Hey man, where do you, where do you like the ball? Like what are some ways that you manipulated uh, the defense or that your teammates manipulated the defense with their eyes in Utah and granted in Utah, everything was much more spread out. But even if you go back to that clip, like that's a spread look mm-hmm. where you've got four guys on the perimeter and Carl, you know, looks off a guy in the corner and fakes that pass full well knowing that there you go. It's a spread pick and roll. Carl's out there. You got four guys on the perimeter. And then Carl's going to fake a pass here to the corner to TP and TP's probably made at this point, three or four catch and shoot threes or it's Nikhil over there mm-hmm. and boom, just looks him off and then throws it right there. Um, you know, I, I think that you're going to see more of that. I think the more that you can get Carl on the perimeter in positions to pass that where he's got the position, the, you know, the three decisions of, do I want to shoot it? Do I want to drive it? Or do I want to pass it? Mm -hmm. I think, uh, is the best way you're going to activate Carl as a four, at least when Rudy's out there. You know what else I, I I wrote down about that play is Carl's like before Carl makes that pass, it's kind of like the third action of it. I guess I can put it up here again. Um, but the, the first one is this, this is double screen, right? That's action. Number one, you get here to Prince in the corner. It's a pick and roll action with Rudy. That's action number two. And then action number three is kind of Carl reading it, getting the screen slip out of there from Prince and finding it. That makes, if you want to get to the third action, it's really important that your first action starts so early, right? And then and they that, didn't. And when their offense sputtered in this game, they waited until there yes. was 10 or 11 seconds in the shot clock to do anything. And that's probably the biggest downfall of Ant right now, mm-hmm. I think, is that when Ant kind of makes his mind up of, I want to go, or I want to, you know, dance a little bit on the perimeter, mm-hmm. uh, especially in the fourth quarter, you saw some of that when Denver started to build their lead. Today's show is brought to you by NBA 2K Mobile, and I'm really excited to be partnering with NBA 2K Mobile because honestly, I think it was playing NBA 2K back in the day that really helped me fall in love with the NBA as a whole. Playing 2K made it so I became familiar with all 30 teams and not just the Wolves. 
NBA 2K Mobile's free and downloadable mobile app is a way we can tap back into that love for the game for the whole league and get us ready for the 2023-24 season. I mean, honestly, it's wild to me how easy it is to download and be playing a top-notch version of 2K in a matter of minutes. From multiplayer matchups to my player, NBA 2K Mobile has numerous ways to play that keep the game fresh and exciting, obviously, all with the convenience of being able to play NBA 2K Mobile on the go. NBA 2K Mobile is the mobile game for real basketball fans that always has something new to explore. Download NBA 2K Mobile free on the App Store or Google Play and use my promo code TATUM2KMOBILE to redeem an exclusive Jason Tatum Pearl Tier card. That's code T-A-T-U-M-2-K-M-O-B-I-L-E on the NBA 2K Mobile app. Today's show is brought to you by the Game Time app, and Game Time is the fast and easy way to buy tickets for all the sports, music, comedy, and theater near you. I went to a concert last week, and the whole process of knowing where to go to get the tickets, it was stressful because the last time I went to a concert, it was a mess trying to get the tickets from the third-party website onto my phone. But with the Game Time app, I felt confident even last minute that I purchased my tickets at a fair rate, and that's because of their best price guarantee. And then with the app, It was easy to just use my phone and get into the concert I paid for, no confusion. So if you're looking for tickets to a Lynx game, a Twins game, or a concert this summer, check out the Game Time app. You'll get images of your seats when you buy, so you know what to expect when you arrive. You can buy tickets in a matter of seconds, two taps, and you're set, and tickets are sent directly to your phone. So no need to dig through your emails and click on a link here or there. You can just snag tickets without stress with the Game Time app. Download the Game Time app. Create an account and use code DaneMore for $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account and use the code DaneMore, all one word, for $20 off. Download game time today. Last minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Jack, let's uh let's move on to a little bit more of the niche things from this game. I know you you texted me how many minutes do I have to talk about do I get to talk about Nikhil <laughs> Alexander Walker 
uh, on this podcast. I said, well, maybe in the second half, but rewatching it myself. No, that's not what you said. <laughs> you said, and I quote, nah limit. <laughs> spending way too much time with Kyle. Yeah, that's true. That's true. I did say that. Rewatching <laughs> the game. I mean, it's funny because Jamal Murray goes off in this game, right? And Nikhil's guarding him. So I was like, you know, I just kind of pulled up the box score before I watched it. And I'm like, oh, wow. I forgot Jamal Murray was the problem um, in this game. But, man, I don't feel it was just crazy shot making by Jamal, largely. Um, it would have been nice if you could have mixed Jaden in there a little bit. I think that maybe changes it a little bit. But even with Jamal Murray going off, wall guarded by Nikhil, I just thought all the small things on the offensive side of the floor of being your just classic fifth option, three and D guy, it was just good to watch it over again and to be like, this guy fits here particularly in this offense that is as high use, like the main guys are going to be really as high usage as they possibly can be in this game. And to that end, I felt like Nikhil fit in really well, actually ended the game taking nine threes, but you just didn't really feel the weight of his usage. It was just kind of there at the right times. I mean, it's, I know I'm preaching the choir here, but it's, it's hard to not, be getting pretty excited about Nikhil, given what he did, not only in this game five, not that whole series, the play-in games after Jane got hurt, what's happened, the role he played for Canada and how good he looked in that. I mean, it just looks like this team has, I don't want to say stumbled into, but found through that trade, a legitimate bench piece. It it really, it really seems to be that way. And I, I don't, I don't leave rewatching that game thinking we overrated it at all. I'm just like, at least in what we've seen, the like seven games Nikhil played in post Jaden injury, it's hard not to give Jay or Nikhil a great grade from that. And then to notice growth from Canada, I think everyone's pretty high on him going into training camp here. Yeah. And the, the first thing I want to do is give Chris Finch a lot of credit um, because Tim Connolly sat in front of all of us on the media call after the trade deadline and said that Finchie pounded the table pretty hard for Nikhil Alexander-Walker. And the Timberwolves had two choices. They could have had Rudy Gay or Nikhil Alexander-Walker. Both of those guys were making a very similar contract number, and one of the two needed to be added for salary filler purposes to make that deal work. And the fact that Finch coached him uh, Nikhil's rookie year in New Orleans and the and the fact that Finch kind of remembered his game and knew what he liked and, and felt that he could fit and also had, um, you know, the familiarity with Gobert, like Finch, deserves a lot of credit, uh, credit for that. Um, but, but with Nikhil specifically, um, the biggest thing that I wrote down about Nikhil, uh, in this game was that he's not like role players that the Timberwolves have had the last handful of years where, I think that the Wolves have been hamstrung by the fact that so many of their role players have been one-way players. Mm. You think about guys like uh, a young Nas Reed or Jalen Noel, um, you know, those guys. Yeah, for sure. Like, um, you know, I I frankly have done a pretty good job of of removing some of those Timberwolves teams from my mind. So I'm not going to sit here and try to recall. You're the one who referenced Trevion Graham already on this episode. Yeah. That was just like, you know, that was more of a zero one that you need to get rid of that. You just have in the pocket that you're holding on to. That was mine. But, um, yeah, like Nikhil is a, is a total two-way fit with what this Wolves team does. And he does all the little things. And there's a point in the fourth quarter where the Nuggets are really starting to gain momentum. 
and uh, Nikhil draws an illegal screen when the crowd is really starting yeah. to get into it, and then comes right back down and drains a just really confident steps into a three when it feels like the game is kind of about to get off the rails, and I think gets the Wolves back to either within one or two points, and that's mm-hmm. what kind of you know I think TP hits a three after that and really kind of keeps the Timberwolves uh, holding onto the rope, which is really important, and I think. Um, the great thing about Nikhil is that he fits with, you know, either, you know, we, we've talked a lot about the two different constructs, the, you know, the Gobert side and the town side. And I think he fits really well with both because he's a really smart playmaker mm-hmm. in that he, he doesn't really ever try to do too much. I don't think, you know, sure. He'll take some ill-advised threes at times, but, you know, I, I think that a lot of the, the decisions that he made in terms of one to drive were just really smart when you could kind of sense like, Hey, you know, Carl's kind of struggling here or, or I don't want, Ant, you know, Ant shouldn't have to take every single shot or, Hey, let's try to get Rudy a look. And he, and he gets to a certain point on the floor where he knows he's going to be able to throw a lob up to Rudy or dump it off to Rudy. And, um, I think two of the times that Gobert gets fouled, it's because Nod drives to a certain point on the floor that he knows he'll be able to get the ball to, to Gobert. And it's just like all those little things that, um, really stood out. And I think, you know, you said that having Jaden would have helped on Jamal Murray. Um, and I can't believe I'm saying this, but I'm going to push back a little bit and say that, like, I don't know what else Jaden could have done that yeah. Nikhil didn't do. Just being, I think like, Jaden longer. I, I don't know. I mean, there's just so many, maybe like, a block a shot or two. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah it's just, and it's such a credit to Nikhil that yeah. if you go and look at his screen navigation, we really saw it too in that play in game against SGA, like the yeah. way that he's able to, and, and they're setting a bajillion screens a game for both those players. Mm-hmm. And you've got to get over, uh, Jokic constantly in the, in the DHO and in the pick and roll game. Um, right. you know, you think about how many guys in the wolves previously would just foul guys and wouldn't be able to get in between the ball and the, and the, in the big, but he does that consistently was flying around and so many of these tough, I think Jamal probably had three or four shots that were just wide open. Um, that were, you know, miscommunications on DHOs or pick and rolls, but he is right there on so many shots yeah. where you're just like, how the hell is he getting that shot off to begin with? And then how does it go in? Um, so I, I think the two biggest things for me with Nikhil are, are really just, I think the screen navigation is, is just incredible um, for a guy, his size at six, five, it's tough. And then um, just his, his kind of sense of when to drive and try to score to relieve some pressure off of everyone else when the defense is really paying attention to, to other guys or what, what really stand out to me about him. I, I, I'm kind of with you in the, yeah, maybe there was, it was just like playoff Murray or whatever. And there was just no answer for it uh, in that game. Maybe like that is a really heavy duty job in terms of energy to when you're guarding you do it for 38 minutes. Exactly. That, that's what I'm saying. So there might have just been in that game some value in having been able to take a break a couple times. For sure. Yeah, you know? for sure. And and I'm, I, I, I say that to to talk about this season and it gets me really excited about what this team can do from a point of attack defense standpoint, because there's plenty of games last year during the regular season with Jaden, where he had to guard the Luca or the SGA the entire game. Right. And, or maybe like ant would step in sometimes, you know, it's the end of the quarter. Ant when ant wants to, yeah, when yeah, it's yeah. like, Hey, I got, I got this. this. Let me cook. Like <laughs> exactly. he's good at it. It's yeah. just So ant, maybe a little bit more of that ant in the mix, but also having Nikhil there, like 
being able to diversify who you can put on the Jamal Murray's, Luka Doncic, Dame Lillard's, whatever, I think this team can feel a lot of value in that just from taking some of the miles off of what Jaden had to do, maybe taking some of the fouls off of what Jaden had to do because he was in that role. And then like kind of the great intrigue with Jaden too, right? Is what could he be as lurking off the corner, getting in there, uh, poke steals, block shots at the rim. The more you can put Ant on ball or Nikhil on ball and not lose that much between where they are and what Jaden was doing, you make up for value in Jaden being a second rim protector next to Rudy Gobert. Um, and not being in foul trouble. And not being in foul trouble. I, I it's there's, there's all this, like, with Jaden's a funny one to talk about for this season, right? He's in the age curve to, to grow and take the next step and leap and all those sort of things. Yet there's just really not a, there's not much more room in terms of usage for him, right? He, his usage was a career high last year, I'm assuming. And that was in large part due to the fact that Cat missed 52 games. And so how do you squeeze out every drop of Jaden without, you know, adjusting for giving him the ball more often or giving him more opportunity? Because that's just probably not going to happen given what the rest of the roster is. And I think it's these things on the margins. It's like, how do we take him out of, uh, how do we take him out of foul trouble more often off the ball a little bit more? Can we put him can we put him in position out on the, whenever he's out there where, you know, sometimes, and I think this is when like Ant was hurt. It felt like a lot of Jaden isolation. Like you want to give him more, but you want to give it to him in those bent floor situations. It's just, you've reversed it to him. Like where are the levels on the margins that Jaden can improve or that you can give Jaden more? Because I just don't know how you're able to give him a bigger slice of the pie of the offense because there's just not going to be as much pie available this season. I was going to say, I'm hoping you're not looking to me to give yeah. you a <laughs> concrete answer there. Cause my answer was going to be truthfully, I have no idea. Yeah. Um, and I think again, it all comes down to, you know, it, I, I think it's honestly like if you just have a kitchen and you have your countertops just completely full with ingredients and you're just going to make this, uh, you know, this soup or this stew that you can just throw a bunch of shit into the pot and kind of be like, oh, you know, this would pair well with this or this would <laughs> do well with that. Right. And it's just an endless combination of what you want to do, because I, I think it's going to be so much of it is going to be matchup based. I don't think the Timberwolves should, you know, be really set in their ways of uh, of rotations uh, because I like I, I just think it should be all like game plan driven and that hopefully this year knock on wood like we don't have a situation like cat was really sick last year during training camp gobert was hurt uh coming over from Eurobasket. like there's all of these things that um that just made last season more difficult that i hope that they don't have this time around with where training camp can be a real like experimentation period of trying all these sorts of things so that when you you need to go to something or you need to, you know, let's say Ant's struggling and, and Kat has an off shooting night where Jaden can be a guy that you step up and, and you know, based on, hey, we've tried this in training camp. We've tried this in practice. We know that, you know, maybe it's uh, Mike does a really good job of, of playing in this empty pick and roll with Gobert and Jaden's in the opposite corner. 
and and Mike's just this savvy vet who has a really good understanding of of knowing kind of when How to look off a defense to yeah. get to get you know run the baseline and get Jaden in the corner because Jaden when he was at his best last season was when he was able to attack out of the corner yeah uh particularly against a smaller guy like honestly like you you'd have Mike Conley as a chaser. That is how a lot of these modern NBA defenses yeah. work, and a lot of those chasers guarded Jaden McDaniels, and we saw that in that Hawks game where he just obliterated Trey Young. He went at him like three or four times, and it's it's those types of things. It's how can you you know maximize him? Is probably maximizing his efficiency, and it's looking hey, where are the moments last season where he was able to really. Uh, feel really confident in what he was doing and get to his spots and score pretty repetitively. And it's, I think it's those types of things. Um, and it's, again, like, you know, it's, it's something that um, I'll steal something from, from Cheryl Reeve on the link side is that, uh, you know, the last couple of years, they've had so many players in and out with injuries and I've had to deal with so many different lineup combinations and, um, you know, in these combinations where they haven't had a chance to practice very much and the things that they're preaching are, Hey, the first thing we can do is, is what players do we have available and where are they most comfortable? Where do they like to shoot from the most? Are there certain areas of the floor that like to attack? Um, and then how can we create schemes or plays that get players the ball where they're the most comfortable? And I think for Jaden, that's what it's going to be all about. Like, I don't think you're looking for Jaden to set the world on fire as an isolation player yeah. offensively, like just catch and shoot threes, be a, you know, cut at the right times. Cause I think that's another area that he can just really take control of the game is as a cutter. Um, and then those corner attacks off the dribble. I, like, what, do you need Jaden to do a whole lot else? Maybe you, maybe no, but you'd don't ask you feel like people something. are like saying that it's like, Oh, like what more, like, Jaden's got more in his sure bag. Like, saying yeah, it, but I'm yeah, just saying, like, yeah. functionally. No, I, I agree. With what is what more does he need to do offensively? I just think he needs to be really good at those three things. And I, you know, you wonder. I mean, the other variable in this is like this is a business, right? Like guys want to get theirs, and mm -hmm. Jaden McDaniels is in a contract year. Like he's not going to sign an extension before the season starts. Am I wrong? Like I don't know. At this point, it's like likely that he probably won't, or we can. Under operating under the assumption that he waits and or that his representation in the Timberwolves don't meet again until next year to really hammer this thing out. Like, that's another thing, too, is, you know, maybe like, I, I don't know. That's just an, it's another variable. Is, well, is it, how it's a it. reason why <laughs> if they don't sign him to an extension before October 30th or whatever the deadline is for that, I guess it would probably be before the season starts sometime in the next few weeks would be the deadline of that before needing to roll it over to next summer like yeah you you do want to give Jaden the a role that he likes so he's willing to re-sign with your team and it'll be restricted free agency and I think he'll be back like I would be hopefully it doesn't need to get to like the DeAndre Ayton situation of a couple of years ago where he has to go sign a you know, a uh, offer sheet somewhere else. And Bill Duffy got there. that same dare with DeAndre Ayton. I don't, did. and I the think if agent. you dare Bill Duffy again, he'll go find a max. So. Yeah. I, I, and, and that's just the whole interesting conundrum of the, the Jaden situation is how to, how to evaluate him. Right. Because yeah, he, he's probably going to have a similar usage role this year. So if you're another team out there, you've never actually seen Jaden be the number two guy on a team. Like if you're Charlotte or whatever, and you're like, Oh, we're going to unload a, max offer for this guy like you've actually never seen him be 
the one B to anyone. He's and, never, and he won't and, have, and to, have like that. It's like scary how much of a proof of concept Mikael Bridges is, where he is just like yeah. this terrifyingly good on-ball defender who is just who, who I think like Mikael was more advanced offensively in that he was more consistent, more efficient off the ball as this kind of, mm-hmm. you know, like I'm saying, catch and shoot threes, attack every once in a while off the dribble type of player. And got this, you know, a comparable contract and then just became this offensive star at just doing what he's really good at and not trying but to once he moved to crazy. somewhere else, is- once he moved somewhere else. So that's what I'm saying is like the you're not going to be able to do it in Phoenix or in Minnesota. So if you're another team like there's that. But again, it comes down to just like. How do you how do you do it here or what more can you ask them? And again, maybe it's like a you feel good about, you know, Jaden being able to give you 20. So you rest ant or you rest cat or whatever. But like with with the team fully constituted, I just I don't know. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I I, and I think it would come in second unit splits. Like, is he going to get minutes at the four? Like, is that a way to get him more of an opportunity in those groupings or when it's just is he out there? in the when it's just Rudy no cat lineups a lot like that would be a place that a uh, roster lineup configuration you could do that could get him more I mean I, I don't know I, I think at the same time he probably doesn't need to show a ton more offensively or more usage to still get close to a max contract or this whatever these 25 30 million dollar numbers that we're we're throwing out there because I think there is a belief in the proof of concept, even though we haven't really seen that uh, play out a ton. I guess that's just like word of mouth. Um, but I think you and I both believe in it, right? Like if he goes and moves somewhere like Mikael Bridges did, I think he would have a similar uh, ascension in in that sort of way. And to be clear, the reason Mikael Bridges left was because he got traded for for Kevin Durant. Like this isn't me or you suggesting like, Oh, they just got to let him go. Roster's too expensive. You know, it's no, like, it's it's yeah. more me saying that I think that another team would be willing to offer him a max contract because you can look at what Mikhail Bridges did and it's a similar player oh, and talk yourself into, mm-hmm. hey, if I'm Charlotte or I'm Oklahoma City or I'm sure. or San Antonio, even like a mm-hmm. team with a ton of cap space, like, hey, I'd do this. Uh, Jack, I want to I want to talk about. One more thing with with Cat and Go Bear, but I am going to do one more uh, ad read here. We're gonna we're gonna show Prize Picks on the screen here on the YouTube channel, just so people, if you haven't tried this before, Prize Picks is a sponsor of the show, and they will match a one hundred dollars sign up bonus if you go to PrizePicks.com and use the promo code Dane. But just to quickly show you how this works, all right? So me and Jack are recording this twenty six minutes before the Rams and Bengals play each other, so we can select. Joe Burrow here for more or less than 239 and a half passing yards. Let's uh, let's say Burrow figures it out. We'll give him a more than there. Let's get receiving yards. Uh, Puka Nakua, Jack, you know I got to take my fantasy guy for more than 71 and a half receiving yards here. Uh, we'll say Jamar Chase, uh, 79 and a half is less than that number. And I don't know why Tyler Higby's at 30 and a half. We'll go less than that there too. So you see here is we have four players. We have Burrow, Dakua, Chase, and Higby, all for more or less than uh, their their yardage total. If all four of those hit, this is uh, you would get ten to one. Uh, on that's a power play uh, for those four picks, or you can choose a flex play, where if you only get three of the four correct, you get one point two five your money, 
or five times if you get all four correct. So I just wanted to show this on the screen. I mean, we've talked about prize picks um, a ton, but this is this is how the game works. You just they have yardage totals set or touchdown total set for all the players or for basketball. Once we get their points, assist rebounds, whatever it might be, um, you just choose your more or less thans and um, hit those all together for um, what they call a power play uh, or a flex play. So again, that's prizepicks.com. If you want to try out prize picks, um, they will throw you a $100 sign up bonus if you use the promo code Dane and let them know you came from us because that helps us, uh, you know, let them know that we are getting our listeners to, to try out their product. So prizepicks.com, prize picks app, promo code Dane. Uh, Jack, last thing, uh, relatively quickly here, and I wanted to put it at the end because I don't think it's super relevant for the beginning of the season. But man, when I'm watching that game, I defensively, what I'm looking at the whole time is the decision to have cat guard Jokic and Gobert be in that kind of lurking spot. I really went into that series thinking the best move was just have Rudy on Jokic, you know, have him do his thing and, and, you know, invest your other resources outside of it. Like we're going, putting our best defender uh, on Jokic and and the other four staying home on shooters. The cat thing worked way better. I was wrong there. Cat did a really good job on Jokic. And I mean, I had that logged in my brain, but I think that particularly stood out maybe uh, in, in that game five there. And it makes some sense. If cat can kind of square Jokic up, be that first line of defense, then Gobert lurking at the rim is really going to deter Jokic's ability to get anything going off the dribble towards the rim. And it did in that game. I'm, I think this is still a really relevant thing and a noteworthy thing that we should remember when it becomes playoff time, like game one of the season, when they're playing Toronto, you're not going to need to worry about some sort of double big tactic to whatever to, who even is the Raptors starting? Cattle drop sixty on Potal again. Yeah. Um, but but you know what I'm saying? Like I think this matters. I think this matters when we talk about what my biggest concern is with this Timberwolves team. Big picture is how they function in a playoff environment. I think it's we're asking different questions of how do you make this team work in the playoff in the regular season versus the playoffs. And this is a pretty important element of figuring out this team postseason wise is. If they grab the Nuggets again, you know, in the first round or, you know, or even just a night when they're playing Joel Embiid or Jonas Valanciunas or Yusuf Nurkic or whatever. Do you think this is like the base defense is you put Cat on the big and you have Rudy Lurk? Is that was that a Jokic specific thing or is is that maybe the best defensive alignment for this team when you're playing a real big bodied scoring center? Yeah, I, th- I think there's there's two ways to look at it. I think there's the positive and there's the negative. I think the positive thing is that what we saw early in the season, this is even before Cat got hurt. So when Carl was, you know, credit, like with respect to Carl was still coming off of an illness. And, you know, I, I'm not going to sit here and say he was 100 percent or less, whatever he was. Um, he really struggled in that chaser role where he had to chase around. um you know, I, I remember, I think it was at the time, Cam Johnson on the Suns um, in one of those early games. And they just ran a ton of threes and everybody was like, whoa, how did the Timberwolves not see this coming? This isn't going to work. Um, 
And I think limiting Carl chasing is the best option. Um, so, you know, Carl guarding or, uh, Aaron Gordon, like is, is not a, really a chaser role. It's kind of this in between. Um, so it's for a, that it's particular a don't, series, it's the opposite. It's yeah. It's don't guard the three point line. Yeah. And so, um, the nugget series, I guess was a better, like, which way do you want to go? Cause mm-hmm. there's good arguments for both of it. My, my biggest thing is limit Carl chasing as best you can. Um, is just like my general thought on how they should approach the base defense. And and this is a good way of doing it because I think with Carl, um, you do worry about him getting in foul trouble, right? Um, but again, like I think if you're Carl and you just say, hey, man, you know, you do the best you can, just keep your hands to yourself, you know, show your hands and you have Rudy Gobert and Jane McDaniels who objectively are two of the best defensive playmakers at the rim in the entire league. And I think Carl did a really good job of being physical with Jokic, but not fouling. I also thought that another technical of this was Carl did a really good job in the second half of, of showing and, and hedging hard on, on some of um, the ball screens involving Murray, which bought Nikhil enough time to get back to sure. Murray so that Murray wouldn't just be walking into a three. Cause that's the other element of guarding. I mean, that, that's best, best pick and roll coverage, right? Like even outside yeah. of his manage, he will he likes to get up. He's better at that. Yeah. And Carl did a really good job of, of mixing up, you know, how he defended ball screens, whether he, mm-hmm. you know, stayed with Jokic or, or hedged out. And I thought it was one of the better probably the best defensive game of Carl's NBA career, considering the stakes and what he did. I mean, Jokic shot eight for twenty nine in that game, which I'm you know, I I remember at the time going back and looking up the last time Jokic shot, I think whatever eight of twenty nine is here, it's you know, 27 and a half percent. The last time he did that, I, I think it was three and a half years ago. Um, and, and Jokic, if you look at his game logs, it's just like everything above 50%. <laughs> um, and the, the, the biggest downfall of this, and we saw this a little bit, um, especially in the last four or five minutes of this game is that after Jokic would shoot over cat, Carl would be out of rebounding position and it would be Jokic just mm-hmm. crashing into Gobert to get offensive rebounds and Rudy just wasn't able to clean the glass for a couple of times where he got shoved out of the way by Aaron Gordon. He got shoved out of the way by, by Jokic. And there were, I think three offensive rebounds that resulted in eight points for the nuggets just in the fourth quarter alone coming off of Jokic shots uh, with cat guarding Jokic. And so I think it's how much do you trust Gobert to clean the glass behind Carl because mm-hmm. I think you kind of got to understand that Carl's not really going to be in great rebounding position. Um, I don't know if you've got a clip here that, that shows I, I do. that. I just it, it's kind of about what we were talking about. I I just I think this I didn't realize this at the time, but I think this is the play where they lost the game. Um, now this played out here for you. So Carl's picked up his. So Carl only had two fouls in the first three quarters, and then in the fourth quarter ends up picking up four and, and fouling out. But at this point here, we have, we have like a minute left in the game. Carl has, Carl has five fouls and he's like, no, no, Rudy, you guard Jokic. So you switch it here. And so now Rudy is just guarding Jokic after he hasn't been doing that. And then and watch this right here with Rudy. He just goes into float right here in the middle. Ah, if he just is, if he's just over at Jokic right here, I think this goes completely differently. Jokic has a step on him. Misses it on the drive, but he puts it back in, and that puts Denver up 106-104 with 52 seconds left. The next time down is where, like, Jokic pushes Rudy, and there's all that. But, man, I'm telling you, I think if Rudy 
just doesn't fall into what he'd been doing, been asked to do the whole game, which is just kind of patrol the paint because he's guarding Gordon. I think this just goes what if, differently. What have you preferred? Carl stayed on Jokic there. Or do you understand? Well, I'm, I'm given assuming... how well Carl was playing offensively, like, yeah, where it's... do you fall on that? Well, so he's he's picked up like three fouls in the last like and, four minutes right before. And it this. should be noted here too, like Jokic was foul hunting. Like Jokic got overly physical with yeah. Carl, and like, mm. I, look, I, I know you're not a big officials guy, <laughs> but like objectively, Jokic is able to be way more physical with guys as an offensive player than most dudes in the league. Like mm-hmm. him and Embiid just get so physical, and they're so good at drawing contact that becomes fouls. Um, I think particularly in Denver for him too. Like, yeah, I mean, he, I, I look, I know that's, that's not weird, the reason why yeah. the Timberwolves lost the game. I'm just saying, like, I was Jokic just wanted to point going, out that play. Yeah. Yeah. Like, Jokic kept going to going at Carl and doing it physically. And it's like, okay, I got the foul call the first time. I'm going to do it a second time. See yeah. if they call the foul. He got it the second time. I'm going to see if I can do it a third time. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I just think the biggest thing for the Timberwolves, no matter what they do, how they position Rudy or Carl, is they've got to get rebounding from the guards yeah. and that um and, and that whichever big is in that rome rome you know not guarding the five has to rebound mm-hmm. and you know we saw that this construct um the timberwolves just didn't rebound well enough uh down the stretch of this game and i don't i don't i think in the moment uh i was pretty hard on rudy gobert for not rebounding um I think Rudy had like 15 rebounds in this game. So you can look and be like, well, he did rebound. Yeah. But like Rudy Gobert's best marketable skills are rim protection and rebounding. And he didn't do enough of either down the stretch of the game. And that was a big reason why the Timberwolves lost. Mm -hmm. And he did it very well for most of the game. Um, Most of the season. But yeah, yeah, for sure. And like, again, I think that, if the Timberwolves roll out this construct when those two are on the floor together, I think that's their best chance at. Uh, no, I, I like this. It's like having the second big always be in rebounding position. So they, they should never be in the chase, right? That's the thing is cat. That's part of never chasing because if cats chasing the cam Johnson, then he's not in rebounding position. He's in just as screwed as Jaden is out at the point of attack. Right. So I, I thought that was a really important thing with Mike would kind of start guarding those chase guys and cat would guard the lead. Like if Rudy was on the center, cat would kind of be more lurking and be by the basket. I think, I think it it's about one of the two cleaning up for the other. Right. And if Rudy's in a rim protection situation with cat behind him, he should have more confidence this season with cats rebounding behind him. He should have more confidence this season to be able to go up and get a couple more shots or contest them more heavily. I think Rudy, everybody points to his shot block numbers being so much lower than Utah as to be an indicator of like diminishing physical capability, which maybe there's part of that. I don't know. He's in his thirties. I think having watched this team the whole season, I think the biggest part of his block numbers going down was not having confidence in what was behind him. Right. If he goes up, you know, is somebody else going to, you know, shore up the lob pass or the drop off pass or the rebound behind him and having cat be behind him and cat 
I don't think Cat's like an elite, like outside of his zone rebounder, but he's going to clean up what's around him. I mean, he's been a double digit rebound guy. A Carl ton is in his certainly career. an above average rebounder mm-hmm. on the defensive end. Oh, I, sure. I, yeah. But that's what I'm like. It was good in this game. Too. Was, that stood out. I wrote that down. Yeah. I mean, there were some really athletic rebounds that he made in traffic. And I think the other thing, too, like, I, I don't buy into the Rudy block numbers quite as much because, like, in Utah, Think about who the perimeter defenders were. Mike Conley and Donovan Mitchell, like guys that are not exactly known for their defense. And so he just had so many more guys coming at him and I think had more opportunities to block shots. Um, But again, I think that 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 again goes into your whole thing with Nikhil is if you can get Nikhil at the point of attack more and you tell Rudy Gobert, hey, man, just go balls to the wall you know, be a playmaker. You got Jane McDaniels behind you. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's a trio. The that more you try faith, to man, the more yeah. faith Rudy has in what is around him. And once it's more consistent, what is around him, I think those numbers go back up. The, and the I, team and that's another th- and his block numbers. Yeah. And that's another thing with this game as well is, you know, there have been times I think that everybody ourselves included have been pretty critical of Chris Finch. And, um, and again, I think if, if you're looking back at this game and you're thinking what could have Rudy done or X player, Y player done this team, the three bench players were Torian Prince, Jalen Noel and Austin rivers. And there were so many moments. And then late in the game, like, even though you think about Mike Conley, Nikhil, Ant, Carl and Rudy, that's just not a five man lineup combination that played very much before this series. (laughs) And one thing I had written down in my notes was just the Nuggets knew exactly what they were doing on offense. And the Timberwolves were not as connected defensively. And their offense was just kind of like, you know, like we were talking about where you let the clock bleed into 11, 12 seconds before you start doing anything. Whereas the Nuggets, like they're making really quick decisions. They're going, they're guys, even if it was, you know, ill-advised stuff, it was just confident. Mm -hmm. Whereas some of the Wolves stuff was just like, I don't really know what we're doing. And I think what I'm most eager to find out at Media Day this week is going to be, you know, what do you think you have learned from being able to go back and watch the film of this team and all of its different iterations? Because a lot of the team is the same for the first time and how long? And, you know, how are you going to be able to, to take the experience that you had, whether it's, you know, one player playing with two other guys or a five man unit or just everybody who's a collective? Like, what did you learn most from that playoff series or last season that you think you'll be able to experiment with in training camp and be better at this season? Mm-hmm. Um, because I think the Timberwolves have a pretty unique uh depth of guys they, they're going to be able to play a lot of different ways you know two years ago coming out of exit interviews what did Patrick Beverly say I think it was your question it was you know what do you what does this team need to be able to do to take the next step and he's and it's and, and play more multiple I think was your question and his one response was personnel yeah and the Timberwolves have that personnel now and it's just going to be really interesting to see what they take from last season and bring back to this season and what they take from last season and really try and, you know, get rid of. So, and that was your Finch point, right? Like that, that's what we're talking about when it's a lot on Finch. It's like grabbing these different things from different segments of the regular season. 
what can't like when he goes back and watches game five, what does he feel like he can take from that? Games one through four, like you need to it's important. And I think he would probably does. tell you, like, I'm gonna try to not watch as much <laughs> of game five yeah. because the team is just gonna be so different. But yeah, that's, that is. But the same five. Well, I guess I no Nikhil. Same four. <laughs> You're right. It, yeah. it was. It was. It was pretty broken up. It, but it's finding little little shreds of it, right? Yeah, and I think you know one example of that. When you know, it reminded me of when you said the four is in that fourth quarter. You you saw the offense kind of split into these two factions. It was Mike and Rudy. Yeah. So Mike was really helping get Rudy going, and then when Carl was at his best, it was when he was in that little kind of two man game with mm-hmm. Ant. Yep. And again, that's just going to be, we talked about it a lot last off season, but this off season, I think is an even more intriguing conversation because you have Mike Conley and not D'Angelo Russell. Mm-hmm. And that that's not a slight against D'Lo. This is just saying it's Mike different. played with Rudy for mm-hmm. what was it? Three years. Yeah. Two, two three, three yeah, years. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it'll be interesting. I mean, I'm, I'm just excited to again, see Finch. I like, I think, really smart minds like i'm really excited to see like what zach lowe has to say um breaking this thing down because i think one way or the other like finch is just going to be in a position where he's going to get a lot of credit or a lot of blame depending Mm -hmm. on which way this thing goes but i think if you're a coach like that's a really exciting yeah proposition it's an exciting proposition if there are answers to be found and some people, depending on your skepticism, don't believe there are answers to be found, right? I think Chris Finch believes there are answers to be found. They just need to find them and execute on, on what they are. I think, Jack, for me, it was it was helpful just like in advance of media day, even if we weren't going to do an episode. I think this was good to just get my head kind of back into what this team, specifically with the top three, looks like, how they get going together, because that was a time... Uh, that they did, I think. It's a little overrated if we're saying that was an awesome team in game five and like, look out, they're now just ready what? to roll and go through everything. But they were good. If we're talking about the different places that Finch can grab things from, he might be able to grab a, a couple from this game. And I don't know about other iterations of the season, how much he can take from it. Yeah, the biggest thing that I, I wanted to to get in all right, you, the you waited to the seventy-minute mark, but this is good. The 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 backup rotate the backup point guard rotation from this game. Jalen Noel played uh, eight minutes. Four of them, as, that in in my notes, I had as a backup point guard. Not played two minutes as a backup point guard. So there were, you know, that that's kind of how it, it shook out. Like Anthony Edwards played, you know, a couple of minutes interspersed there when you know Mike Conley was off the floor. Shake Milton. I think is going to have a really important role as an upgrade from Jordan McLaughlin. Like Chris Finch did not play Jordan. Jordan McLaughlin. I think the comp is Jalen Noel. I think, I think he replaces the Jalen Noel role. But again, he, he went to Jalen Noel as a backup point guard in that instance, instead of McLaughlin. So he is, I think he plays more like a Jalen Noel. Um, But again, I think it's this Finch, you know, and again, Nikhil Alexander-Walker played back a point guard for Canada. Like, I think it's going to be much more of a, depending on the situation, who we want to get to as the backup point guard, rather than just strictly going to Jordan McLaughlin every time, mm-hmm. um, is something that I think is important to keep in mind when you think about this game specifically. 
Absolutely. It's, it was relevant in this game and it's proven to be with the off season, one of the most relevant things for us to be asking about and looking at for this season is all right. Yeah. We think we got Mike Conley playing 30 minutes a night in hopefully 60, 65 games. Um, it's a lot of other point guard minutes that we learned last season is pretty critical. Um, what that looks like. A lot of the breakdown happened because they, because McLaughlin didn't get heavy, healthy or get in a rhythm. Jalen never really found his rhythm. This team has a handful of different options to go to uh, at backup point guard, including maybe more of that being Ant, Kyle Anderson. Like, I'm not, I'm kind of, I'm, I'm not really worried about it. I think there's, it's not like your classic depth chart, but I think there's, um, I think they have more places to go this year um, that are like kind of the screwball ones, right? that I actually feel uh, pretty confident in. They did not have that uh, in this game, though. Jack, I appreciate you doing it. Um, I, I'm sure the two of us will get on here again uh, before before the season starts. Once we, you know, training camp starting on Thursday, we will have more and new ideas related to the Wolves uh, based on whatever the Finch and the players uh, tell us. So we'll be talking about it here. Uh, Jack and his team will be writing about it. Over at Canis Hoopas, you got anything uh, specific you want to plug over at Canis? Yeah. Um, so, so our team, we're going to be asking questions of this Timberwolves team um, leading up to the season. So, um, there, there's going to be a lot of lot of different articles here where we're answering, you know, you know, pressing questions coming into the Timberwolves season. So we're going to try to space those out as best we can. Those will be starting up here, um, likely this last week of September. Um, and then leading all the way up to the to the regular season, so that'll be kind of a fun thing to follow for for fans that um, you know. If if you have a question, um, feel free to to shoot it at us on Twitter at Canisupis or, or me personally um, in the DMs uh, at Jarborman13 uh, on Twitter. Um, so that'll be that'll be something that that's fun, and hopefully we'll be able to hit on um, you know Wolves fans that that have questions about each individual players or how they improve certain areas that, that you're most interested in from last season. So I, I think we'll have anywhere from 10 to 15 articles on, on those questions, which will be, be fun. Leading awesome, into the season. man. I'm, uh, I'm looking forward to it. We're spoiled with uh, lots of writing uh, in, in the Wolves market and Canis is a, is a staple of that. Um, I will be back with uh, Britt Robson tomorrow, Tuesday, to talk about the rest of his marathon interview uh, with Chris Finch. I still need to read uh, parts three and four that uh, Britt got to. So I will be doing that. Uh, He's on- just a machine, man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's just, I would love to be a fly on the wall for those two, for that kind con- like, I wish there was a video element of that. Uh, yeah. We get that on YouTube. Uh, no, <laughs> I, I mean, but in, in all seriousness, and I, Jack, I don't know if you got the chance to read it yet, but I, I think, um, I think game five was a good place to rewatch where this team was to get our heads kind of plugged back into it. But uh, the Finch article uh, with Britt is, is really valuable to know what Finch is thinking. Uh, Finch is the type of coach who really is willing uh, and able to, to answer a lot of those questions in ways that I think help us answer some of those questions that, that you're talking about, Jack. I'm sure some of your writers will be referencing some of the things that Finch said in that. So, uh, so yeah, read, uh, read everything over at Canis, check out Britt's, uh, Q&A with Finch um, in advance of Tuesday when Britt and I uh, talk again. That'll be that'll be the plan. And then media day on Thursday, Kyle and I will get together to to chop that up. We're uh, we're rolling. 
Uh, Wolves season, I guess, is here. It, it came it came quick. Again, he's Jack Holm on Twitter, at JRBorman13. Did I do that right? Correct. Yeah. I appreciate you doing it, Jack. Yeah, absolutely, man. Always a pleasure. Appreciate you having me. All right. Uh, until tomorrow with Britt, he's Jack. I'm Dane. Peace out. How I'm feeling, man, I hope it never stops, yeah. Green it hard so you can find me in the